Welcome to the game of crowdfunding. Road to relaunch for Gothic Doctor Part 3. That's right, we're back again. And it's myself, and I've got Doug with me. Doug, say hello to the wonderful people. Hello to the wonderful people. There you go. See? <laughs> right on cue. This is <laughs> I take, good. I take instructions very well. <laughs> <laughs> this has been awesome. You know, and, and before we get into things, of course, uh, just a recap. You know, this is the third one that we've done in this series. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's, and we are having a great time bringing you this information. The first part was lessons learned from the first Kickstarter that was unsuccessful. The part two, we went into the action items that are going to be taken when they do relaunch. And again, we're talking to Doug from Meltdown Games, and the game that we're talking about is Gothic Doctor. So in part two, we talked about their action items, and uh, this time we're going to see what uh, wonderful information Doug has for us. But before we get to that, Doug, I just wanted to share with you, you and I have had some communication recently, but not as much, especially since I've been sick. <laughs> Yay me. And uh, I just wanted to share with you the fact that I am getting feedback on uh, the value of this series. Oh, good. So I have had people reach out. I have had people tell me that uh, they've really enjoyed this series and it's something that they look forward to. I've had people ask me when uh, we were going to record part three. And it has also kind of become one of my early, when I start running into new people, especially like if they come into the Game Crafter or something like that into that chat and start asking about the Kickstarter process and whatnot, I have started to refer people back to part one and part two and then come back and ask me questions after that. And uh, I've gotten nothing but positive feedback from that as well. So we are accomplishing our plan, sir. Perfect. <laughs> this is step two. Stage three is the, the world domination thing. But uh, no, but I'm, I'm glad this is helping people so that they can not go into this uh, blind. You know, really have a plan and know what the process is like for making this happen hopefully well. I think this has been a really good, uh, I guess, I, like I said, especially if we, if I talk to somebody that is coming in and, as part one, like, uh, coming in with our very first project and are still kind of a little bit deer in headlights, <laughs> sometimes mm -hmm. I'll, I'll call it. It's been very helpful for me to be able to send them back to part one and part two because part one and part two to me answers a lot of questions that I answer every day over and over again. And I'm happy to do that, but I think it's really nice instead of somebody coming along and, and granted they don't know me and they don't necessarily know you if they go back and listen to that, but they're coming in blind into say like a, like I said, the game crafter chat, uh, not knowing necessarily who I am and me throwing this stuff at them. I think it's kind of nice for them to be able to go back and hear our conversations and the fact that you are actually going through it. And we talk through it so that they know it's not just somebody in a random chat room throwing information at them. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. The other good thing is I know at least when we were starting, we didn't always know what questions to ask. Right. And so having something where people are talking about as much as they can think of, it's, you know, a sort of better way, I think, than, okay, well, I have these three questions. And then the Kickstarter comes up and you say, wait, people can cancel their pledges. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What's <laughs> happening? Yeah. <laughs> so things like that. Yeah, I'm still even like I think that one of the last people I uh, sent back to listen to part one and part two was had a big thing around. Um, no, we're not we're not sharing. We're we're launching next week, but we're not sharing our our thing yet because we haven't. Uh, you know, we're we're it, there's not a lot there, and we want it to be perfect. I'm like, no, 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 no. Go listen and get that link out there today. <laughs> right, and the way you make it perfect is by having people tell you, here's you know, this is great work on this? What Have you thought about this? That kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I've been enjoying that. And uh, again, if you're listening to this and you are enjoying this, definitely uh, send us some feedback. Uh, again, you can hit up Doug on Twitter at, at Meltdown Games, right? Yep, that's it. And we're at All Us Geeks. If you want to do the email route, you can send it to podcast at allusgeeks.com. And I'll make sure Doug gets that as well. Unless, Doug, you want to also uh, include an email? Go yeah, you can send it to uh, info at meltdowngames.com. All right, so there you go. Podcast at allusgeeks.com or info at meltdowngames.com. Not only send us feedback, I mean, it's great, uh, and we'd love to hear that people from people that this is helping. But on the flip side of that, if you have those questions that we haven't hit on yet, 
definitely include those because Doug and I are more than happy to mm-hmm. discuss those items and work it in to this series and make sure that everybody's getting the useful information they need out of it. I mean, this is primarily we're here to talk about what's going on with Gothic Doctor and getting it relaunched. But those questions that you have are questions that Doug's probably had as, as well, looking at not only the first launch, but in the relaunch as well. So definitely send them our way. And if uh, we can, we will definitely include them in the show. And honestly, like if there's a question that we haven't thought of or that, you know, we haven't considered yet, it might be something that I need to think about, you know, a little bit more before we uh, hit the launch button there at the end of June, probably. So There you go. So, yeah, you can even help out Doug as he's helping you out. (laughs) Please help me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Doug. So uh, I'm going to turn it over to you. Tell me what what wonderful information we're going to talk about today. All right. So uh, the two big topics I was thinking of talking about today, what's coming up for Gothic Doctor with playtesting and um, a process for that. And then also talking a little bit about uh, what John and I did last weekend, which was um, we worked on our Kickstarter video and we got the footage recorded, we think, uh, in its entirety for that. <laughs> but, you know, if we have to go back and, and do some more, that'll be fine. In terms of the video, I guess we'll do the past first. We just got through, we spent a day planning and looking over other videos and and shooting the small part that we're going to be in as the two of us. We looked at a lot of videos and what we decided we like best and what we see is uh, going on on a lot of successful Kickstarter projects is the more animation end of things. And since John is a video editor by trade, he's able to do all that stuff. So we're thinking of having a relatively short video, probably minute and a half ish and trying to showcase the art as much as we can. You know, John and I are pretty guys, but Jeff's art is prettier. So uh, <laughs> that's uh, Jeff Drylowitz, our, uh, our artist. I've never seen your art, Jeff. I don't know how it is. Oh, no. no <laughs> yeah. And, and you never will. And you can basically uh, go to bed every night thanking the world that you have it. <laughs> So yeah, so we're going to do some animations there. Uh, we recorded the voiceover stuff for that. Then we recorded, you know, our, our personal appeal at the end for the last, it's probably going to be 20, 25 seconds, I think, depending on which specific take we use. So I was thinking I might talk to everybody a little bit about what went into our decision to make the video uh, the way it did. Okay. If you've watched Kickstarter videos out there, and if you're going to be putting a Kickstarter up, you really should, there's all kinds of different ways to do it. There's the you know, live action all the time. There's the animation with hiring a voiceover guy. There's just you talking to the camera. There's showing clips of the game, all sorts of different things that people do in in different amounts. And what John and I wound up deciding to do, both because he's able to do the animation and because to us, the, the real selling point of the game is the story and the world that's created in there, is to really focus on that illustration and focus on the story of the game. Because we really think getting into it and playing it can really be a nice, immersive experience. And so we wanted the video to sort of set people into that world. But of course, we wanted them to see us and to see, you know, what we're about and hear directly from us. So, you know, John and I both recorded parts for the voiceover. So we'll be there. It's just going to be the two of our voices focusing mainly on the game itself and the artwork in there. Let's, uh, take a small step back. And I think, I mean, I think we actually said it in the last part in part two, but you guys have also made a conscious decision on the length of the yeah. video. So what are you shooting for, for that? And, and why do you think that's important? Yeah. So we were shooting for, honestly, we were shooting for a minute to a minute 30 and we're probably going to be near the top part of that. The decision there was the videos we've watched. The minute, minute and a half, sometimes the really good two-minute ones. I don't want to offend anybody by omitting them, but one of the good two-minute ones is um, Tower, I think. Uh, I think that just about hit the two-minute mark. But that stays pretty consistent throughout. It sets up the story nicely in front. It then has the creator whose name is escaping me, Ben Hass. Ben Haskett. Yep, has Ben in there telling his side of the story. And it's paced quickly enough that it's interesting and it it keeps your attention throughout. And I'm sure people who have watched videos have seen the three, four, five minute videos that, you know, really you don't need all that information. And so we made the decision to keep our, our intro video as short and as compact as possible. And then to do videos beneath that, we'll have the playthrough video we'll have, and probably some other videos. We're still not 
I don't want to guarantee anything here and then have people say, but they promised there would be this. Because, you know, I don't want to break anybody's <laughs> heart. Yeah, to have, you know, the main video be concise and quick and then cover other stuff in other videos so that if somebody wants to see a playthrough of the game, they can check that out. And if they want to see, you know, us talking to the artist, they can see that, that sort of thing. So. Yeah. And you've kind of hit on, again, some of what I say quite a bit. You might have seen it on some of the, again, the Facebook groups that we're on together. I always tell people it's like two minutes or less is your sweet spot. Less is always nice. Like you talked about those, those ones that are over two minutes, man, they better be spectacular videos. <laughs> Otherwise, there's no reason for me to be there past two minutes. And then the other thing I always like to tell people is that I don't need to necessarily see gameplay in your intro video. It's nice to see the game uh, and, and and stuff about the game, and I need to know why you want me to participate in your project. But the intro video to me, the way I use it, and again, we talked about that as well, it's... uh you know, for the, those people that don't use the videos, that's fine. Uh, they'll have the rest of the page, but don't alienate those people that do use the videos. Uh, and, you know, and that was a big conversation on Facebook not too long ago <laughs> as well. But for me, it's always, I will watch your longer videos on your page if you pull me in quickly on your intro video. So I have no problem watching your 15, 20, 30 minute gameplay video that's later down the page. By my option, if you've pulled me in with your intro video to make me want to know how to play the game. So, and I think kind of what you're talking about is a pretty good formula. I mean, it's, uh, you don't necessarily, again, you guys have the ability and the skill. You don't necessarily have to go the animation route, but I think it, one, it is nice and it is cool. And I do think it's kind of important to, even if it's briefly, even if you think you are the worst person in the world to be on video, as the people behind the game, let people know that you are, there are people behind the game. And again, it can be brief. It can be towards the end. It can be thanks for watching this. Uh, I hope you help me, you know, make this passion of mine available to the public. You know, something, something along those lines. But early on, just then focus in. If you don't have the money to do it, uh, if you don't have, uh, if you're not able to hire somebody to do animation and stuff like that, there are some easy ways to kind of get around that, right? You can focus in on having the game kind of played or or flashing like you like you could do a um. What, what do I want to call it? Like a, uh, a presentation, an art presentation or something like that. Like a power, almost like a PowerPoint kind of presentation of art. Or you can just kind of have a, the game kind of being played, maybe fast forwarded or something. And you can get the voiceover over that to kind of talk about the game. And there's some things you can do. I mean, you can go out to Fiverr even, Fiverr.com and get somebody that'll do a, you know, two minute video. It's not going to, it's, it's going to be a little more than five bucks, but you're n probably not going to spend more than 20, 30 bucks tops to get somebody to do that voiceover. If you don't already know somebody that can do that. Uh, and there are other avenues to go look for that kind of thing. But the way you're approaching it is tell some of the story, get, get, get some of the, the atmosphere and the feel. Uh, show off the artwork in the game a bit and then kind of come in and, and give your plea at the end. I think that's a solid way to, uh, approach the video and to look at keeping it under two minutes is a solid approach as well. So again, it's one of those things where you've taken the research, you've taken the feedback, and I think you're implementing it in a really smart fashion. Yeah. And the other big thing is that, you know, this video isn't going to be done and then the next day we're going to launch this is going to be something that certainly we're going to be looking for feedback on you know via twitter via uh, the facebook groups we're part of to make sure you know because up until we hit that launch button you know there's still room to to play around with it a little bit and if, you know people are saying well that first part lagged a little bit or oh, i really wish we could have seen a little bit more blank you know then we can uh we can give the people what they want that's a good point as well. And, and to make sure you leave yourself plenty of time, cause again, <laughs> video is not a quick process to edit and change out. I've actually had somebody ask me, could, Oh, Hey, uh, that was an awesome video. Can you just change this one word? And like, <laughs> no, cause that's, that's like eight hours of time just to change that one word. Cause it's part of the video. Right. <laughs> and after I got, now I got to reprocess it and all that good stuff and the rendering and, uh, I'm not a fan of video sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But it, yeah. So you, you, making sure you give yourself 
that time, that leeway, the uh, ability to get feedback. You know, you're always you you want to share as fa- as uh, early as possible to get the entire page looking well, but don't forget the video and the time it's going to take for you to incorporate any changes and give yourself some time to collect the feedback. So you're not doing it five or six times. Right. Right. Yeah. Making sure that it's not five minutes of feedback. And then, you know, like you were talking about last time with the, here's this link, take five minutes and then I'm taking it down. Certainly leaving it up there for people to let us know, you know, their, their full thoughts on it. And we've talked about that before in, in other ones too is filter your feedback. Of course, not every change needs to be made, but weigh it. Right. <laughs> and like I said, especially for the video side of things, I mean, if somebody gives you some wording suggestions on the page that you can do quickly. Uh, but again, changing video, right. <laughs> uh, you, you want to try to collect a bunch of that up front. It, it's kind of, it's almost like the, uh, carpenter rule or, right. It's like uh, measure twice, right. cut once. Same thing for making more changes to your video. (laughs) Gather the feedback, make your final decision and go, all right, this is, unless something drastic comes up, this is what we're happy with. Yeah. You know, Doug, having you in a lab coat, that's pretty cool, but could maybe you be dressed as a vampire? That's not going to happen. It's, uh, (laughs) yeah, I'm actually very, uh, you know, I've looked at the rough footage a little bit and I'm very happy with how it turned out. We did um, some interesting things with, uh, with the lighting at the end but I'll leave those mysterious for right now. But I will answer this question. I answered this on Twitter already preemptively. Yes, those are two human skulls. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I did. I do remember you saying that on yeah. Twitter. So how about this? You guys shot the video. How much time did you take to shoot the footage that you have right now versus what we're going to see? Yeah. So let's see. We drove around and got supplies and, um, you know, picked up a lab coat for John and, you know, just kind of, did our running around to get everything set up in the afternoon. We probably worked from probably 10 to about four on that, that Saturday. And then we scripted for probably two. And, you know, we were scripting as we were going, you know, driving in the car and saying, all right, so how are you going to describe this go? And then trying to just brainstorm and not freeze up. And then we wound up coming up with, uh, you know, with little phrases that we really liked. Uh, here and there, just sort of off the top of our heads, jotting them down to come back to later for the more formal scripting. And then from about four to six, we we scripted, and uh, my wife was actually super helpful with this. She was typing, and John and I were going back and forth and saying, "Yeah, yeah, that, but this," and then you know, playing around with words and rearranging stuff. Uh, so we did that for a couple hours, got some dinner, fueled up, and then shot the video for probably three probably about three hours. And I would say two of those hours were us shooting the last 15 to 25 seconds of the uh, video. All right. So yeah, just, uh, there you go. Just, you're not doing two minutes of video work to get, to get your two minute video right. or less. Yeah, we did probably without exaggeration, probably 30 or 40 takes and probably 15 that we thought were solid ones that if, you know, somebody put a gun to our head, that could be our, our shot. But, especially since we live so far apart. If we don't, if we get one that we think, yeah, that felt good at the time, it's not as easy. You know, it's not like I can walk next door and say, oh, hey, John, let's reshoot that part. You know, he's down in Virginia. So it's a a much more involved process. So we wanted to make sure we had many, many ones that we thought were really excellent. So we did that for probably two and a half hours. And then I did the uh, voiceover stuff, which was a lot easier because I could just read that right off of a sheet and have that since the sheet won't show up just in the voiceover. So were you um, heavily scripted for your video? I mean, did you guys try to stick to a a very uh, strict script that you had created? Yeah, I think we stuck word to word to the script just because we wanted to be concise and we wanted to be exact with it. I'm happy to speak sort of off the cuff, but sometimes it takes me a little while or sometimes I'll have you know, digress into a tangent about my cat or something. We wanted to be really precise and to the point. So we had, we had a script, we had, uh, had some cue cards that we, you know, were refreshing between takes and stuff. So we were very heavily scripted. There's probably 15 takes that are almost exactly the same as the one before it. So did you, you guys find that aspect of it more difficult or contributing to how much you had to how many takes you had to take. And, and the reason I'm asking that it's not 
uh, it's just even I know in like say the podcast space, and again, we're not talking video, we're just talking about talking into a mic, but it tends to be those shows that try to be heavily scripted take like 10 times longer than some kind of hybrid just because if you're reading it and you, you mess it up or you don't think it read right or anything, or, or you, you, get back and it sounds like you're reading, you end up doing more takes than uh, I would say like the hybrid aspect of, of podcasting where you've got your, you know, your outline and stuff like that, but you just kind of freeform around your outline. Yeah. I, I generally prefer the second when time isn't the factor. The first two or three takes are us saying, thank you for watching our video. We have many, you know, like the, the exaggerated hand or the, you know, like, the Bob Dole thumb point or whatever. (laughs) And, you know, my wife and John's girlfriend in the background is going, but, you know, as we got comfortable with it, as we sort of internalized it, I think it sounds natural. They thought it did too. So I feel pretty good about it. But I think, you know, you and I are going to record this podcast in one take and then you're going to do a lot of editing to it, but it's going to be, you know, what it is on the first time through. Because here, this is us trying talk to each other, talk to people, give them some ideas. You know, this is less of a focus on on marketing, on getting exactly this content to them in this many seconds because we're trying to keep their their attention. You know, people who are listening to this podcast are, I hope, super interested in what we have to say. Fingers crossed. <laughs> That's always been a hope of mine as well. I don't know how well I'm doing at that, Doug, but... <laughs> hey, I, I listen to almost all of them, so you got my vote. Well, we appreciate that. All right. Is there anything uh, else we want to make sure we let people know about uh, the video side of things? You had another topic. Yeah, I think in terms of the video, that just about covers it. But, you know, I think it really is the the carpenter thing, you know, measure twice, cut once. If you know that you want to do X, Y, Z, have a plan to do X, Y, Z. If you can run through it a couple times before the camera starts rolling, I think that's good. You know, with digital film now, it's not so much a matter of time on tape, but John and I ran through through our thing before we hit record a couple times and, you know, said, yeah, that's, that's good. That's good. And then record was hit. And then it was, we are Doug and John and we are line, you know, (laughs) so it's, it's just nerve wracking. Just something about being recorded just makes it's uncomfortable. So the more practice you can do, your first takes not going to be it. Your seventh take might be okay. But just keep going and get way more takes than you need, I would say, would be the big one. Yeah, I think that would be huge. You don't want to be in the editing process and not have what you need and going, oh, well, if I, you know what, let me try to get everybody back together or however your process was. Uh, you'd much rather want to go, wait a minute, I remember this take over here. Let me pull up that part of the video and, and do what you need to do versus crap, I right. don't have it. <laughs> Yeah. Especially once you get to the editing process, because again, right. hurry up and wait when it comes to video editing. Yeah, I think that's video. So uh, that was uh, the video side of things. And of course, uh, we get to see the fruits of that labor here in the future. Then we will be able to. And of course, once the, the actual Kickstarter preview is up, we'll talk about that as well and make sure it gets out to people so you can help uh, give feedback for Gothic Doctors relaunch. But now it sounds like uh, you want to talk playtesting. Yeah, I do. We have what I hope is a pretty good playtesting plan coming up. In the last couple months, probably this calendar year, really coming out of uh, Unpub back in January, I got a couple ideas for playtesting that we're not going to have the time, you know, between me and John and, and our close circle of friends to really test out. Playtesting is so key. You know, I listened to most of your interview with Ben, and you were right. He sounds like a wonderful not be winning any friends by saying... <laughs> Yeah, I think my first blind playtest was Father Geek, and he thought it was pretty good. You know, <laughs> uh, that's beyond me. But, um, you know, so it's, it's a matter of getting a bunch of different people to try it, you know, as many blind playtests as you can. And so what we're going to be doing in order to test out some of these rule variants that we want to probably include with the Kickstarter, they seem great in our heads, is we are gathering some playtesters, sending them a copy of the deck that Medieval Man Studios is printing for us, probably as we speak and getting them to fill out a Google survey for us about what variant they played, what they thought of it, and some other data we're trying to collect. One of the things that we're really looking carefully at in this round of playtesting is the Panacea, which for people who aren't familiar with the game, it's a it serves two functions. One is it's a treatment for the rarest patients, and it's required there. But it can also serve as a wild card. 
And so you have to decide between using it as this wild card to treat either a lower level patient and using it to treat the patients who get you the most money. And so one of the concerns we had that a couple people raised at Unpub, one of the concerns was that it seemed like the people who were getting the most panaceas were winning the game the most. So what we want to do is take a look at the relationship between number of panaceas and score. And in order to get the kind of stats on that that you need to make it really worthwhile, you have to get really quite a lot, at least 30, and then, of course, ideally as many as you can. So that's one of the things we're going to be looking for there. But this, I think, comes into that that community aspect of it. You know, we've played with people who are excited about the game, who enjoy the game, who want to be a part of the game. And this is a great way, I think, to get people engaged and also to get the game out there and get people playing it, talking about it, sharing it with friends and all that stuff. So we're giving them this promotional copy of the game and they're giving us this feedback that there's just no other way for us to get, fingers crossed, in the volume that we'll get here in really any other way. And especially you know, the blind playtest nature of it. That's sort of our plan for playtesting. Well, and I think that there's a couple things that I heard you say that really stand out and that I think are important takeaways for somebody that may not have been looking at the playtest aspect as deeply. And, you know, in the interviews that I've done, we have a full range, right? I mean, I've talked to people, some people think, you know what, I'm just designing and I and I'm working with publishers. That's the publisher's thing all the way to, yeah, I play test the heck out of this thing and blind and triple blind. And, you know, and there's a full gamut, full range of things, but there are definitely, especially some newer indie game designers that whenever I ask them, what's your play test process? It's like, well, you know, my, uh, my fiance played with me. My, my wife and kids love it. My, you know, my parents have played my, you know, my friends. And it's like, okay, well, who besides them have looked at it? Well, that's, you know, they, they have. And that's, to me, that's great for initial. Uh, and I've said it before, even in, in some of my previous designs, it's like, uh, what's in my head is amazing, awesome explosions, <laughs> <laughs> fireworks. And then as soon as I get it on the table in front of Megan and I, it's like, well, this is complete crap. And Megan helps me get it into a stable version that I can take outside of us. But that's always been my process is that just because Megan and I say this is it, that doesn't mean it's it. It's time now we go to game days, we go to conventions and people outside of people, people that don't know me take it on. Right. So again, the blind play test thing, and that's actually semi blind because usually I'm there for that part. <laughs> but the couple of things that I, I heard you say that I thought was great. One, of course, you were talking about truly blind play testing. So sending out to people where you're not standing over their shoulder and it's up to them to interpret the rules that you give them to play and how they play and what they come back with. Right. That is huge. And that is going to also potentially help you tighten up your rule book. Because if somebody just completely missed something and if multiple groups completely miss something in your rule book, then it's probably time to look at that rule <laughs> or that section of the rule book. Yeah, we had something like that happen when we first sent out the first sent out Gothic Doctor to reviewers partway through our Kickstarter last time, which we talked about last time. But if this is the first one you're listening to, send your game out to reviewers well before your Kickstarter. <laughs> but yeah, we got this email back from them, which was really actually kind of them to send it to us. And they said, hey, guys, uh, so we've played your game a couple times and we've decided we're not going to review it because we don't like it. And here's what we don't like about it. We got stuck with stuff in our hand that we couldn't get rid of. So the way the mechanics work in the game is if you can't treat on a certain round, you draw up to nine, and then you discard. At the time, it was up to nine. Now it's up to ten. And then discard down to seven. The rules were not clear enough about the discarding down to seven. We had said somewhere else that you always end your turn with seven cards in your hand, except in one rare case. But we hadn't put that after, you know, the drop to 10 cards. We just assumed people would remember that. And so we wrote back to him and said, hey guys, here's here's this thing. And they said, oh, okay, here's why, why we were confused. We'll play it again. We'll see what we think. And then they did, and they liked it a lot better, which was which was good. But yeah, I mean, that's absolutely true. The, the rules that are so super clear to you totally make sense. Writing rules is tough. Yeah, it is. And especially for somebody to not be there to say, well, wait, I have a question about this. What happens if this happens. I was playtesting a, a new game uh, that I'm working on with a couple guys over the weekend, and there were a couple cases where they said, okay, well, so what if I do this? Can I then do that? Because 
that seems unfair, but based on what's on the cards, a couple of times I just had to say, you know, that's, that's a really great question. Uh, I'm going to have to think about that. But, you know, in the rules, the written rules, those have to be really rock solid before you send them out to people. Playtesting is, I think, the best way to do it. Yeah, and when Jordan and I play a game, there's a good chance we're trying to break your game. And not to break your game, but to, to break the other one. <laughs> To break one of us. If you listen to us at all, we're all about to take that. And if we can screw each other over, we will. So if we can try to find a way in your rules to do that. <laughs> and for us, that leads to a lot of we debate over certain things and, and wording and stuff and try to come up with a consensus on our part. But then we usually go back and say, OK, well, here's what we found and here's what we did. Were we correct or were we not? And I don't know if I, I don't know if it was part of this or where I shared that, but there was actually like when we reviewed Draco Magi, we had Robert Burke on Facebook message through the entire game going, can I screw, can I screw Jordan over this way? Can I, can Jordan screw me over this way? And so it was, it was this whole world of this communication back and forth with Robert. And then like at one point he's like, no, you can't do that. But I've been thinking about changing that. And both Jordan and I kind of wrote back and was like, don't do that. Because if you do that, you open yourself up to this. Right. Uh, and, and again, so yeah, it's that, you know, how are, how are things going to be interpreted? You're not there. You're right. When you're sitting down and playing it as the person that designed it, everything makes perfect sense. How can you not know that you discard down to right. seven, you right. know, that kind of thing. And that's where you need to kind of take a step back and go, yes, I designed it. I understand it. But these people did not design it. And their feedback is valid and valuable in that aspect. And again, it's the filter thing. You do still have to filter. Uh, not everything that comes back is is wrong just because one person interpreted it a different way than you know nine other groups. <laughs> So the other thing I wanted to kind of uh, touch on, too, is you had mentioned using the Google form. Yeah. So using an actual form with specific questions and that you were looking this round of blind playtesting specifically on the variants and how the play went with those variants. So it's one of those things where if you go through the blind playtesting process, Give it some focus, like you're talking about, because don't send out a bunch of st stuff blind and then just go, uh, well, what'd you think? Right. Pick a smiley face to tell me how this game made you feel. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, because you, you never know, unless you know, unless you know the group well enough and you know, and the group understands what you're kind of coming at. That, that's why I like things like you said, you went to Unpub and, and Proto Spiel and those type of events where people understand that you're looking for that deep feedback. But if you've got various play groups, that are blind playtesting for you. Sometimes you, you have to give them that focus because if you, if you tell them, you know, if you just go, well, what do you think? Somebody can come back with, well, you know, I really didn't like the art on this one card. It's like, okay, well, the art is play, placeholder right now. I'm really looking more at mechanics or right. somebody, you know, it just, it, it can go in any tangent possible when you're really trying to get down to a certain meet, certain, certain process, certain mechanic even. Uh, that you're, you're un, still kind of unsure of. And you got to make sure that the people that are looking at this for you understand that's what you're looking for. Yeah. And little self promotional plug here. I have a, an article with Cardboard Edison that should be coming out in the neighborhood of tomorrow. So by the time, you know, this is up, unless you pull an all nighter and edit this tonight. Yeah. That's not happening, <laughs> especially since it's the season finale of The Walking Dead. Never mind. <laughs> so I have an article that will be coming out from there soon about how to frame your questions for playtesting based on the who, what, when, where, why, and how concept from journalism. So if people want to check that out, that offers some more, some more detail about, you know, the, the kinds of ways that I think it's important to focus playtesters, whether they're, you know, your casual everyday player or whether they're somebody who is a game designer, even full-time, even by trade. I was uh, playtesting yesterday with Matthew O'Malley, who, um, who's Black Oak Games, uh, plug for him. He's got, He's part of the Dice Hate Me Kickstarter right now for their Rabbits line of cards. And Diner is amazing. I haven't played the other ones, but uh, I bought it just on the strength of Diner. So he was there and uh, Chris Zinsley from Cardboard Edison and uh, Jay Treat. We got together at a library and played some games. You know, just a, a really great experience. But even having framing questions to help guide other designers is really important because do they know where in the process this is? We broke out this one micro game I'm working on now 
And that's totally up for grabs. And we played one that Jay was working on where, you know, we changed the game radically four or five times during the course of playing it because that's just where it is in the, in the process. And that's actually something I learned from uh, Suzanne and Chris Zinsley in playing different versions of a game they're working on now called Cottage Industry, where every time I play it, you know, something that was really central to the game the first time is now gone the second time. And they said, well, we wanted to see what it's like without this at all. We're probably going to put it back in, but we want to run this test just without it. And that's, you know, in the early stages, really the way to do playtesting. I think just whatever idea pops into your head, some of it's going to be great. Some of them, it's going to be exactly, you know, what you thought it was in terms of why it wouldn't work if you took out X or Y, but really being willing to try all that, all that wild and wacky stuff early on, even if it leads to, to variants later on. One of the things that we're looking at here is something that we thought of early on and just sort of dismissed out of hand. And then it wasn't until somebody brought it back to us and said, well, you know that doctors don't always do all of the treatments for a single patient, right? And we said, well, yeah, of course. He said, so one of the ways to make sure that somebody can always do something on a turn is for them to do part of a treatment and then either share the profit or then compete over that or something like that. And so that idea, as wildly divergent as it is from what we're going with for the main game is something that we're interested in trying out for the, uh, you know, for these, this round of play testing. Let me ask you this. How, how wide is your net this time around for blind play testing? I mean, what kind of, how many different groups and, and how did you kind of go about potentially coordinating that? Let, let's say here, here's where I, I, maybe I'm trying to get at. Let's say there's, there is a new designer that maybe is kind of starting to toy with that idea of blind play testing. Uh, where can we help them get started? I guess there's a couple Facebook groups and play test HQ. Is that one? I of think the that's the one that run by the one run by, uh, Jarek. Yeah. I heard him on, um, on with you guys and, uh, and checked his thing out. So yeah, play test HQ is probably a good place to get folks. A lot of the people that were going to be getting to play test with us are people we met at conventions. So they've played the, since this is now game variants, it helps to have people who played the base game before so that they can then say, Oh, okay. This is, it's like that, but different. You know, the, um, especially the partial treatments thing is something that I think would be a lot to digest on the first playthrough. So a lot of this is folks who we met. Once we knew we were going to be looking for this group or other designers who uh, I met at Unpub or, or stuff like that. And actually, if anybody out there is interested, we've decided we want to send 20 decks out for playtesting and we have 15 accounted for so far. So if anybody's listening to this and saying, oh, yeah, I want a piece of that action, send me an email, info, meltdowngames.com. If you're in the first five callers, we'll be able to send you a copy. <laughs> But even if you're not, we'll be able to hook you up with a, a link to the print and play. And we'd love, of course, to have feedback. We're going to acknowledge all of our official play testers in the rule book, certainly. So if anybody's interested in that, okay. they could definitely check that out. So, uh, again, it's it's not necessarily – I mean, you can find a gambit of blind play testers as well. Um, it's not necessarily something where you have to go out and – spend a ton of money yourself to, to potentially do. Uh, there are groups that are willing to look at print and plays and there are groups that are going to, you know, want you to supply a, a prototype copy depending on where you are in the process and depending on the blind play test group and what you're trying to accomplish out of the blind play test. I mean, sending a copy without art or something like that, if you're really focusing in on mechanics and the group understands that, is not an issue. That's that's not a bad thing to have to do. As long as, again, the group that you're working with understands what you're looking for, uh, what you're trying to get out of the feedback, and that, you know, you're not trying to focus on the art at this point. That will be a future-looking thing, potentially, something like that. So, uh, you know, that's another way that you can potentially save some money if you need to, especially uh, do prototypes yourself to send them out, is save on the ink. Uh, there's also Card and Board Game Designers Guild, yeah, the Card and Board Game Designers Guild, which is run by James Matthew. That's a good one, too. A lot of people, uh, a lot of action going on over there. The other thing that I've seen recently and uh, the path I'm thinking about going for in the future, possibly with this, this micro game that I'm working on, is using the Game Crafter as a prototyping. That gives you a little bit more of an official feeling copy, and then you're sort of linking into that community as well. So I think really any of those is an option getting a whole set made up you know uh, you know we're getting 50 printed getting a bunch printed so you can send them out share them which is a 
a big upfront expense for you personally, or the game crafter, which is the upfront expense for the people who want to play test for you, or the print and play, which is the uh, the time and effort on their part. So yeah, and I, I'm a little biased, but I am part of the game crafter community, so uh, I definitely recommend that service if you're uh, looking to do some prototyping and or if you i mean it, it, you can also use it as an indie uh print on demand store as well a lot of people do that uh just put their games there or start off there and eventually take them to kickstarter all of that good stuff and it is i i will say there's a, a good portion of the games that we get to look at and that we show you on either we review on the podcast or we show you on uh, the video side, the YouTube, our YouTube channel, good amount of those do come out of the Game Crafter uh, for prototyping purposes and for uh, early look, early release prototype pre Kickstarter. So it's it's definitely a good service, and I, uh, you can usually find me over there too, uh, off and on during the day. Yeah, and I think it for that it sort of depends on your components. You know, if you have a a fifty four card game, that's probably a good place for the Game Crafter to to come in. We have something more like 155 cards. So that's, you know, that's getting up there and that's a big investment to ask somebody to play a demo version of your game, you know, playtest version of it for a non-established designer. You know, if we were, if this were our 10th game, you know, it might be a, an easier sell to say, Hey, you get it on the, on the ground floor, which sounds a little bit like a, like an Amway pitch, but, um, you know, get, get in when it's, when this thing is still young and, and be a part of it and help it. Uh, develop into what it's going to become it's just we sort of figure that would be a harder sell for a, a first game from a from a brand new company well and again there's there's that there's that way to go or there's the way to you put your game up you purchase mm. them all at cost and ship them out you know kind of like what you're kind of doing with Mid- medieval man studios right now is you know they're printing off all your prototypes and then you're going to ship them out to who needs to take a look at them for right now and you know a lot of people use the game crafter that way as well uh you know just because they're and depending on what you order and the amount you order there are some uh you know bulk discounts in the back end as well so uh that's just an- another service that you can potentially use the one thing with that though is there you know it's it's a print on demand service so they're printed as they're ordered and they go into a queue and JT and the crew do a really good job of keeping that queue going but yeah, sometimes, you know, especially right now, uh, there, there's a lot of people that have been starting to utilize them for Kickstarter as well. Um, so for fulfillment, uh, sometimes uh, the queue can get backed up. So that's one thing to kind of keep in mind. I'm constantly, the one thing I am constantly amazed about is people will come on to the Game Crafter and get upset even and get almost angry at times. And I don't understand where it's coming from, but cannot understand why they can't have their game in their hand within a week. Mm-hmm. And, and I can't think I'm like, where else, where do you think you're going <laughs> that you can get 50 copies in a week, even professionally printed? Where do you think you're going to get 50 copies in a week? And so that one, that one amazes me. Right. There's this wonderful place called Staples. Yeah, that's what you said. You can go down to Staples, and I think that uh, usually that's somebody's suggestion is like, if you really need it that quickly, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to pay, but go on down to Staples or something like that to get it, get it made. Uh, but yeah, those, those, and be, for some reason we've been getting a lot of those recently. So it's really stuck in my head right now, but it's just like, and, and I've gotten to the point where like I used to just kind of be quiet in the background and let other people right. <laughs> kind of answer the question or, you know, uh, I come in later, but lately I've just been, can I ask you where you, why you thought you were going to, where, or where else you think you're going to get something in a week? I just, I'm really curious right. where this is coming from. Yeah. I mean, I think as the more, it grows probably the more you're going to see stuff like that because you have people who don't really know what it's about, haven't taken the time to get to know it or even think about, oh, okay, here's how this print on demand thing would work. Or people who've never, who've never worked with a printer before, you know, anybody who's doing this for the first time, it, I don't understand why when I press print on my printer, it prints right away. I don't understand why when I press order, it doesn't print right away. I don't understand why there has to be a queue, you know, like when, a uh, when I had my brother-in-law who works at a printing press uh, up around here run some stuff off for me, he said, yeah, you know, that's going to be, I can get that in a couple weeks, but yeah, I can do that for you. And I was like, the hell do you mean a couple weeks? Like he said, well, let me explain it to you. Let me <laughs> use this in terms you'll understand. And, you know, explained the, the process of it. And it, it's just very different. You know, everything seems easy if you've never done it before. 
Yeah, it's just, like I said, it's just one of those things that it amazes me, and just the rage that sometimes comes with it. <laughs> you know, we kind of mentioned them a couple times, and you and I talked about it before we started recording. But I just want to point out again and and on air that how cool I think it is. You and Medieval Man Studios were able to get together and kind of help each other out and form a partnership. And and like you said uh, before we started, that kind of started from them being on the show and, and you getting to hear that interview and, and the services they were offering. And now here we are in a part three where uh, we're offering up information to other people and, and you're trying to help people out as well. And Again, anybody that listens to me and knows how I feel, I'm big on the community aspect, especially in the gaming community and us being able to foster that community. So again, I think that's, that's super cool, man, that you and Medieval Man Studios were able to get together and help each other out. So awesome on that. And I'm, I'm glad both of you guys have been on to uh, share your, your services and your information. Yeah. And I mean, huge, huge pitch here for, uh, for Cody down there. He's been. Super great to work with and very communicative and just really on the ball and totally upfront about like, you know, yeah, I can do this, but it's going to take X and just really very, very good. We're looking for short run stuff. You know, I don't know what their schedule looks like and I, I don't want people to jump in front of me in line or anything, but, uh, <laughs> but definitely reach out to them if you're looking for a small number of, of sets run off. Their customer service is fantastic. Awesome. So. Yeah. I like I said, it's, it's super cool to see the community kind of get together and help each other out. So I, I'm totally stoked about that. And I'm, I'm glad you guys mm-hmm. were able to, to help each other out. All right. Doug, I think we're, uh, we're getting towards the end of our time here. Is there anything else we need to make sure we cover on the blind playtesting or playtesting in general side of things? I just think the most important thing to look for in playtesters is honesty. I'm lucky to have people who, who won't lie to me to spare my feelings. You know, my friend, one of my, the main guys I play test with is my friend, Ben, who for anybody who was involved with the first Kickstarter, the uh, worst day ever print and play that we sent out afterwards was one that he and I designed together. And, you know, he's great in that I'll bring this design that I'm super excited about. That's, you know, fantastic in my head. And I'll sit down with him and we'll play it. And I'll go, what did you think? And he'll say, well, I mean, let's just get this out of the way. It wasn't fun at all. (laughs) There might be a game there or, well, yeah, there's no game there. You know, people don't want to, whatever, make drawings of frogs and see which one looks the most like Rupert Murdoch. I don't know. Um, <laughs> nice to self, pull, man. <laughs> yeah, note to self, design that game. Uh, starting out with people who will be kind to you and sort of help foster you like like friends and family, I think is a good place to start. And then as people are, you know, working on designing games more and more in the community, those design meetups are really great for people who think very critically about games in ways that, you know, unless your friends are also game designers, won't necessarily happen. Uh, and then moving on to the to the blind play test from there. But no, I mean, other than that, as a sort of that's my process for the order. My long suffering wife is always my first step. And then, you know, from there on, um, we always hurt the ones we love. I know with <laughs> with these wonderful in concept things. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, I think that's uh, I think that's playtesting. So there you go. Yeah, we uh, covered uh, the Kickstarter video process. We covered some playtesting and blind playtesting this time around. We are coming to you. We're recording this at the tail end of March, so you'll hear it in April. But we will uh, be recording again sometime in April. Doug and I will have a conversation about when we can get that in. Uh, so we will be doing another one of these, part four, of course, and. Uh, not sure exactly what we're talking about. May probably by then. I know we've we've kind of teased. I think two twice now the uh, shipping process of things. But uh, I know Doug is uh, putting that together right now still, and and putting the final nail in the coffin, if you will, for that. So maybe by the next time we record, we can discuss that. Uh, otherwise, or we'll just tease it again. It'll be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll just we'll just keep doing that and until until right. it actually ships. The day the day Gothic Doctor ships, we'll finally tell you how that happened. That's right. If you want to know, you have to back the game. There you go. Yeah, and you know, and and Doug, I don't know how you feel. I know we've uh, kind of titled this the Road to Relaunch, and uh, we're going to take it up. I would love to potentially take this series from 
you know, through the Kickstarter process. So while you guys are going on again, you know, it, it, that I know that's going to be a crazy time for you guys anyway. Mm-hmm. But if we can find a little bit of time uh, during that month, uh, you know, one time. Absolutely. And then afterwards, all the way up to uh, you getting the fulfillment and shipping. I just think the, that enti- the, following this the entire way uh, is going to be extremely helpful, I think, for people because it's going to be some of that after a project process too that you know some people may not have even thought about cuz right now their head is completely in uh getting my project on kickstarter mm-hmm. right so i would love for us to take that the the whole ride i guess with uh gothic doctor yeah absolutely you guys are more than welcome to come Excellent. along for it be happy to have you all right so there you go that was part 3 of the road to relaunch for gothic doctor this has been a great time once again doug Always love hanging out and talking with you, man. It's been a fun time. Always fantastic. Thank you. (laughs) And we will be back sometime in April, or at least we'll record sometime in April. I don't know when you'll get it. You'll get it when you get it. Come on. (laughs) But (laughs) What do you mean I can't have it right now? (laughs) Bug me enough online and you'll get it, uh, because I already already have many people that do that, and I greatly appreciate it, because I seriously (laughs) do. I'm so happy that people are enjoying uh, this particular series in general, let alone some of the other stuff that we record. So uh, keep it coming. And again, if you have something that you want Doug and I to cover, please send that in. You can send it to podcast at allusgeeks.com or info at meltdowngames.com. Either one, Doug and I will share it, and we will uh, make sure to get it into one of the series here. So once again, thanks for hanging out with me, and we'll talk soon. This podcast is a proud member of the GeekCast Network. If you enjoyed it and are looking for other podcasts with a geek culture slant, head over to geekcastnetwork.com, where you will find podcasts such as Two Bald Geeks, a podcast by two bald horror movie fans that dissect one horror movie a month, saving the spoilers for last. The Geek Cast Network. You can broadcast your geekiness at geekcastnetwork.com.